0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Exodus chapter 20 is where we are, and uh, we're having some lighting issues, and so um, fortunately we can put the the text on the screen for you, so if you can't see in your Bible, we will have the verses on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 8. And uh, we'll read down through verse 11. "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, "'but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work. "'You or your son or your daughter or your male servant "'or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner "'who is within your gates.'" For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. Now I'm going to ask that you keep your spot in Exodus 20, but let's look also in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, um, starting in verse 23, and again we can put it on the screen for you. Mark 2, verse 23, it says, One Sabbath he, speaking of Jesus, was going through the grain fields, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did uh, when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and how he also gave it to those who were with him. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Um, we are in a series that we've entitled Golden Honey, a. Um, title that we've taken from Psalm 1910, where the psalmist says that God's law is uh, to be more desired than gold and is more precious than honey. And what we are learning together is that though we are a people who are under grace, we're no longer under the law, um, but the law is still relevant to us and it's still good. And, and what we're doing is we're just diving into the Ten Commandments one by one, which sums up the heart and character of God. And we're learning together how when we apply God's law to our lives, we can experience the life that God has created us to experience. And today, we will be diving into the fourth commandment. So I ask that you pray for me as I pray for you, and then we will actually dive into the text. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here. I thank you for the opportunity that we have now to sit under the teaching of your word. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for giving us uh, your scripture so that we can learn more about who you are and how to experience a relationship with you that alone can satisfy us and give us what we are desperately needing. I pray for each person who is here today. I know in the busyness of life. I know there's tons of distractions, there's tons of things going on right now in our minds and in our souls, and what we need more than anything is to meet you and to hear from you and to be with you. And so would you work through this passage, the power of your Holy Spirit for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been around a tired two-year-old? Raise your hand. Okay, the majority of you. Let me ask you this. What are some of the characteristics of a tired two-year road? Speak loud, huh? What's that? Whining, cranky, annoying, amen? What's that? Irrational, clingy, aggressive, yeah, what else? Loud, okay, yep obnoxious, yes. I mean, we could go on and on. Now, let me ask you this. What are the characteristics of a tired adult? (laughs) That's exactly right, right? Not much different at all. And that's because whether you're a child or adult, it's just not fun to be tired, is it, right? Uh, I mean, when you go too long without rest, I mean, what happens, right? Rather than feeling refreshed, you feel restless. Rather than being flexible, you're irritable, and not just are you miserable, but you make everybody miserable around you, right? I mean, not only do you make it hard on yourself, but you make it hard on others. And as nice as it would be to be able to say, you know what, when I'm tired, all I really need is a nap, and if I can get a nap, everything will be better. We know that doesn't really work past kindergarten, right? Like, we know that as you get older, what we need is not just physical rest, which that's important, but we need something much deeper than that, don't we? Uh, We don't just need physical rest. More than that, a lot of times what we need is emotional rest. Uh, We need spiritual rest. We need mental rest, right? Uh, We need rest that is full and complete. And for some of you, maybe you sit here this morning, and depending on what stage of life you're in, you're like, that would be so nice, but literally, that's like a pipe dream. Like that, that, that cannot happen in my season of life. Maybe because of declining health, maybe because of stressful circumstances or finances, maybe because you're like me and you have a two and a half year old and a four year old, right? And you're like, it's just impossible to have this true and complete rest. But the good news is, actually, God says different. In fact, God wants everybody, no matter who you are, where you come from, today to experience a rest that will therefore give you the life that he's created you to experience and and that's what the fourth commandment really is all about if you will look back with me in exodus 20 and verse 8 it says remember the sabbath day and keep it holy now the the hebrew word for sabbath here literally means to stop or to rest And the first place that we see an example of this in the scripture is in Genesis chapter 2 where we actually have it referenced right here in verse 11 where it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. So God himself created the universe in six days, which sounds like a pretty productive week. And then on the seventh day, he himself, he he stopped creating. He he rested. And not because he ran out of energy, not because he got tired. God doesn't run out of energy. and He doesn't get tired. But everything that needed to be done had been done. So he stopped creating. And on the seventh day, he just enjoyed his creation. And then we come to the fourth commandment. And we see that he actually commands us to do the exact same thing. If you look again in verse 9, he says, For six days you shall do what? Labor, okay? Now, before we receive the gift of rest, we need to understand the gift of work. Some of you, whenever you found out we were preaching on rest today, you were like, amazing. Another excuse to be lazy and not do anything at all, right? For some of you, like, your chances of overworking are about like my chances of getting pregnant, right? I mean, it's like, you, you, you try to avoid work at all costs. You, you don't, you know, you, you, you hate it, right? But what we need to see is that work actually is a gift from God. A Work is not a result of sin. It's not a result of curse. But God actually gave us work when? Before sin ever entered the picture. Uh, There was was work in the garden, and I believe actually, and this may depress some of you, I think there'll be work in heaven, right? I, I think we will. So it's a good thing to work, right? We should work and we should work hard and the bible says right here we should work for six days in america we say five's enough right give me a weekend right but but work six days but then what does he say he says you shall labor for six days and do all of your work but the seventh day he says the sabbath to the lord he says remember the sabbath and keep it holy he says for six days you shall work but the seventh day is going to be different he says it's going to be holy what he means by being holy is it's going to be set apart it's going to be different than the rest of your week and how because on the seventh day he says, You will do nothing but rest and just enjoy my creation. And you see the way this looked for Israel is going to look a little bit different than it is for our culture, and the way it looks for me is going to look a little bit different than the way it does for you. All right. For me, my Sabbath is not on Sunday. Sunday's a work day. I work probably eight hours today, okay, from around seven AM on all the way till our MC comes over our house at five o'clock. Okay? Um, so my Sabbath is on Saturday. Um, except for yesterday because we had an immersed class. So anyways, but typically it's going to be on Saturday. And so for me, what it looks like is I wake up I spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and then um, I go and get donuts for the kids, okay? So it's just kind of a picnic tradition for us. We have donuts on Saturday mornings, and so we go, we grab donuts, we eat those, and then after it's over, after we clean up, um, I will go and read a book, or I will watch a documentary, or if uh, sports, you know, if college football's going on, or the Cardinals are playing, like I'm going to watch a game. If it's pretty outside, I'm going to actually get outside, which I encourage everybody to do. just does something for the soul, right? So me and the kids will go to Crowley's Ridge almost every Saturday and hang out there. And then we just have a lot of unstructured time where we just don't really do anything. We just kind of chill and, and, and relax, okay? And so for me, that's how I enjoy creation. That's how I enjoy God in, on my Sabbath. For you, it may look way different. The point is this, though. There is to be a day, God says, where you need to stop working and you just need to enjoy me and my creation. Now, for some of you hear that, you say, well, that's good for you, Jared, but that's impossible for me. Right? Like, some of you are already thinking of excuses on, like, why there is no way I could take an entire day and just do things that energize myself. Right? For some of you, you say, Jared, you just have no idea. I mean, my to-do list is literally, like, forever long. I mean, I'm always having to run somewhere. I have to, you know, do something for somebody. Or, right, I always have all of these errands. I mean, you have no idea, Jared, how important I really am to so many people. So I just can't stop. And what I would want to encourage you to do is just stop and consider this. Would there be anybody in here who would be arrogant enough to say, "I'm actually more important than God?" Is there anybody in here who would have enough pride in their heart to say, "Actually, my plate is fuller than the God of the universe. I have more to do than He does." Right? Uh, absolutely not. right? Like all of us know that God is infinitely more important than we are, and He's far busier, and yet, what does God do on the seventh day? He rested. And he actually then commands us to do the same thing. Now, here's the problem with this commandment of of, of having a Sabbath day. If we look at the Ten Commandments and you're just kind of gandering through them and reading all of them, maybe if you have your Bible open, you can even kind of look at some of them in front of you. If there is any commandment that seems somewhat optional, isn't it this one? Right? Like, Like we read the Ten Commandments and we're like, okay, I should not put any other gods before God. Makes sense uh obey your parents yeah i have kids we should keep that one that one makes sense um shouldn't murder yep get it don't commit adultery don't steal don't lie yeah but then we come to we shall remember the sabbath day and we keep it holy and we look and we say man is that even american right like like is that possibly even relevant anymore in our culture today i mean is god not realize how busy we are in 2016 the reality is even in Christian culture, we kind of look at this commandment and we say, eh, take it or leave it. I-, I was thinking about my dad as I was preparing for this, and last year, me and my dad were talking about how, you know, his entire life, my dad has worked in a factory and he's pastored a church, his entire life. And a lot of people, I- I've heard him say throughout his pastoral ministry, like, man, that's so courageous and he's such a hard worker and I wish more pastors would do that so the church wouldn't have to pay them, Right? But what few realize is is the majority of my dad's life, he never even had a Sabbath. He didn't, right? While most pastors were able to Sabbath on Saturday, my dad would work all week. And then guess what he had to do on Saturday? He had to catch up on the stuff he couldn't do throughout the week. He had to prepare for sermons and and do other things. And as a result of that, right, his health would decline. I mean, there were other things in his life that just really kind of, he just saw consequences from it. I'm not trying to, to throw my dad under the bus this morning, but... That's a temptation for all of us, I think. Uh, to to look, I mean, if there's any commandment within the church that we can actually break and not just get away with, but when we break it, we're celebrated it for it because we're like, that person's a hard worker. That person's ambitious, right? It's this one. The Sabbath doesn't seem like a big deal to us. Maybe even as you sit here today, you're thinking, I don't really know like why this is that big of a deal. Well, let me just show you. If you flip over a couple chapters to Exodus 31, and I think we can put it on the screen for you. Exodus 31. I want you to see how big of a deal the Sabbath is to God. Just to set the context for you. Moses has been on Mount Sinai for 11 chapters by this point. Okay? Been on Mount Sinai for a long time, getting the law from God. And the very last law God reviews with Moses is, guess what? The law about the Sabbath. And I want you to look what he says. Moses, before you go down, I want to talk to you about the Sabbath again. In verse 13, he says... Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, look at this language. Above all else, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now the Sabbath has a twofold purpose. Yes, it's for rest, but it's also important and most important because it's a day that we're to set aside and remember who God is and what He's done for us. In this sense, he says, You are to remember that I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you. In other words, I am the one who has saved you, and I am the one who keeps you. I am the one excuse me, I am the one who freed you from slavery. And I am the one who will sustain you. Therefore, what he says, Israel, you are to, because I do everything, take one day where you do absolutely nothing. And he says, when you do this, this is what will make you distinct among the rest of the world. Because while the rest of the world is working tirelessly, while the rest of the world is exhausted and burnt out, they will look at you as a nation and they will see one whole day, which can you imagine that entire nation? He says they will look at you and see the entire nation doing nothing. And they will say, hmm, that must be nice. How do they do that? How can they rest when there's so much going on and their nation still continue to stay together? Right? Right? God says, I I want you to take one day where you rest because while the rest of the world is believing the lie that they have to keep working and keep moving because they keep the world turning, while the rest of the world is believing the lie that they are so important, they can't stop. He said, you're going to take a whole day where you do nothing and you watch. The nation will continue to prosper and be blessed because I'm the one who upholds it. Okay, that's what he says there. Now let's keep reading. And this is where we see how important this obviously is to God. In verse 14, he says, you shall keep the Sabbath... Because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall what? Be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul will be cut off from among his people. Now, does that seem a little extreme to you? Sabbath's a big deal to God, obviously. Then he goes on and repeats it in verse 15. Six days shall work be done but on the seventh day is a sabbath a solemn rest holy to the lord whoever does any work on the sabbath day shall be put to death god says to israel you actually need this day you need to learn to sabbath it is for your good and it is for my glory it sets you apart from the world and it helps you experience life as i've created it to be And you see, this is actually incredibly good news to Israel because think about it, where have they been for the past 400 years? In slavery. For the past 400 years, these people have had a master in their face saying, work harder, do more work, try harder, be better. I mean, literally, masters were working them to death. And now they have a new master, the God of the universe, who says to them, I actually want you to take an entire day where you rest. You do nothing, but you just enjoy me and my creation. See, this is such good news, but actually, for those of us who are Christians, we find out as we go to the New Testament that the news gets even better. So I had you read Mark 2 earlier, if you will, flip back to it. Thousands of years later, we fast forward and we see in this setting jesus is actually in a field with some pharisees pharisees were these super spiritual pastors who thought they had all of their life together and one of the things that pharisees liked to do was sit around and debate the law okay and they would just make up new laws and one of the laws they debated the most during this time was the law of the sabbath and what they would do this is a true story i'm not making this up they would sit around and they'd be like hey what do you think god really meant by work when he said you shouldn't work on the sabbath and they would say, um, "Well, if an ox gets out of a stall and a guy has to go and get the ox and bring it back, is that considered work?" They go, "Yeah, I think it is." All right, well, let's make that a law. If you do that, you die. Um, and, and this is truly a law. Like this is—I'm not making. I'm not exaggerating. Okay, I know pastors exaggerate sometimes, but this is literal. Um, they literally passed a law that said on the Sabbath you can't spit, or you can be put to death. Why can you not spit? Because if you spit, someone might kick it, which kind of teals up the dirt, and that's considered work, and therefore, it's breaking the law. So you get put to death. So by the time the Pharisees come around, the Sabbath goes from being about rest to being primarily about rules. Okay? And and rather than leaving people feeling free, it leaves people living in fear, because the Sabbath has become a day where now, your pastor just might kill you for breaking the law. Okay, like that's what the Sabbath has become, right? And so Jesus understands this. He knows what's going on. And so on one terrifying Sabbath day, he's with his disciples. He's with his crew in this field and they get hungry. So they start picking some wheat to eat it. And then look what the Pharisees say. Verse 24, they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Which my question would be, To the Pharisees, why are you even in a field on the Sabbath? These guys obviously need to get a life, right? I mean, they're not farmers, they're Pharisees. So why are they in a field on the Sabbath day? Well, let me tell you. For a Pharisee, they're doing what they always do. They're walking around and they're looking for people to scrutinize. They're looking for people who they can bust out for not being as holy as them. Some of you have been around people who are like this. Some of you maybe have been a part of churches that are like this. I just want to stop for a moment and say this. That is not the kind of church Fellowship Paragold is. Okay? I'm not saying that that we just throw away the law. I'm not saying that we don't stand for truth. But listen, at Fellowship Paragold, guys, listen, especially members, what we want to be known for more than anything is not what we are against, but what we are for. Does that make sense? As a church, we want to be more known for what we love, than what we hate. Okay. Does that make sense? And what do we love? Right? We love Jesus. We love people. And we love the St. Louis Cardinals. All right. Amen. Just who we are as a church. Had to say that Steve. When I saw you sitting there. I thought that was a good time. <laughs> Pharisees. Were a people who were simply known for what they were against. And they were against a whole lot of stuff. That's why they were always making these rules. And on this particular day, right, they're hanging out in a field. They're looking for someone who's breaking the Sabbath. And they come across Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, you're supposed to be resting, and yet you guys are working. And look at how Jesus responds. I love Jesus' response sometimes. He says to them, "Um, hey, uh, have you ever read about David? you ever read about David whenever he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat and how he also gave it to those who were with him? Uh, <laughs> the reason I love this response is, listen, if you're a Pharisee, do you know what you do with your time? You read and you make up laws. And then you read some more and you make up more laws. Okay, the Pharisee, If you're a Pharisee, like literally, you probably have the entire Old Testament memorized. And Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, have you ever, uh, ever heard of David? ever read about David? In other words, have you ever read the Old Testament? <laughs> you know? And so it's like you can just see them boiling, right? Getting frustrated. And so what is Jesus doing here? Look, the Pharisees believe the reason that, that David was able to break this law and eat of this bread is because David just held a special position before God and God just gave him a pass. But what Jesus says to these people who think they know the law perfectly and understand the Sabbath perfectly, is He says, actually, you've missed the whole point of the Sabbath. You don't get it. And then He breaks it down for them in verse 27. He says, for the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, what He says is the Sabbath is always meant to be a gift from God but you have tried to turn it into a gift that you give God, and it's not working. It's not working for you, and it's not working for anyone else. Jesus says, don't you see the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, and you have turned it into a burden. Like all of God's law, the Sabbath was given not to restrict you, but so that you can experience the life that God has created you to experience. So what is God saying? He's agreeing with the psalmist from uh, Psalm 1910, right? He's saying the law... Right? It is not a ball and chain. It is gold and honey. Right? It is a gift from God to us so that we can see how life works best. He's saying the law is not given to us to keep us from being happy. It's given to us so that whenever we walk in the ways God's created us to walk, we can thrive. He's saying the law, right? He's concluding the Sabbath here in this. He's saying, it's not like this to do list where God is saying, "If you will do this, then you can earn my love." No, He's saying it was given to us because God loves us. He already loves us before we ever do any of this stuff. And listen, you have to get that because some of you, man, you you, you look at God's law and, and don't you just say, "Man, that seems so out of date. It seems so oppressive." We look at God's commands and we say, I don't think that's going to work for me. Like God just doesn't understand me. So I'm going to choose to do things my way. The temptation is for us to all, I think, to set aside God's law. And the reason we do that is because we have a skewed view of God's law. And the reason we have a skewed view of God's law is because we have a skewed view of God. For some of us in here today, rather than seeing God as a loving Father who loves us just because He loves us, do we not see him instead sometimes as this angry judge who says, here's my law, if you will do it all perfectly, if you will obey my commands, I'm not necessarily going to love you, but I'm going to tolerate you. and I'm not going to punish you. I'll let you have heaven. And I know like none of us would say that. And in our minds, we know that's wrong. But in our hearts, the way we live, like we're still believing this. I mean, if I can just be honest with you, um... Even this past week, and when I was in San Diego, um, I saw this welling up in my own heart. I was sitting there, and um, I've got to get my cell phone out because I'm going to read something from it. I'm sitting there in, in, in San Diego, and um, someone's talking about the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, and, and, and I see some people next to me, and they're, they're crying, as they're just overwhelmed with the good news of what Jesus has done for them. And as I watched them cry, you know what happened to me? I began to feel all this shame and guilt all of a sudden, because I wasn't crying. And I began to think, um, basically that the enemy began to say to me this, like, you don't love God as much as these people love God. And uh, that's why God loves them more than he loves you. Like, I really begin to feel like, man, I, I should just, I, I suck. Like, why, why don't I love God more? I'm just beating myself up. And I just get along with the Lord. And, 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 and I begin to just say, man, would you speak to my heart and speak to the situation and tell me what's going on in my heart? Why don't I cry as I think about this, like as other people are? And, and all of a sudden, just this peace flooded my soul. And here's what God spoke to me in my heart. He said, if you would stop focusing so much on your affections for me and focus more on my affections for you, your affections would come. And then he gave me a picture in my mind of when I came home from San Diego, he says, you know, when you come home, you're going to run to your kids, to Nora and White, and you're going to hug them, and you're going to kiss them, and you're going to give them these gifts. And when you get down, you're not going to be thinking, you better cry (laughs) in happiness, or I'm going to quit hugging you, and I'm going to give you more gifts. He said, you're not going to think that. That's ridiculous. You're going to love them just because you love them. And he said, don't you get it, son? That's the way I love you. And that's the way he loves you. And we have to get this, guys. We have to see God's law a lot of this reality. He is a loving father who wants good gifts for his kids. He doesn't just give us the law because he wants us to prove something to him. He gives us the law because he wants to bless us. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, man is not given for the Sabbath, but he says the Sabbath is given for the man. He said, listen, guys, God wants to give you rest. He wants you to be refreshed. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to feel light. He wants you to walk with joy in your heart. And then here's where the good news of the gospel comes in. This is why actually this idea of rest is even better for us than it was for the people of Israel. What Jesus says next is this. God doesn't just want you to experience this life one day a week. I mean, that would be nice, just at least one day of rest, right? But Jesus says he doesn't just want you to experience it for one day. He wants you to experience this type of life Every day, through every week, no matter your circumstances. Because look what he says next in verse 28. He says, the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now that may not seem groundbreaking to you, but it would actually get Jesus killed later for saying that. Because here's what Jesus just said. When he says, I'm the Lord even of the Sabbath, what he is saying is, I actually created the Sabbath. Therefore, what he's saying is, I am God. And so, if you really want to Sabbath well, if you really want rest, not just physical rest, but complete emotional and mental rest, he says, you find it in me. He says, you look to me and whenever you look to me when you trust in who i am and what i've done for you don't just get rest on days where you sit back and do nothing he says you get real and complete rest even in the middle of your work and in the busyness and the craziness of life isn't that good news in colossians chapter 2 16 and following look what paul says therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and a drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath which is our focus this morning For these are what? Say it. These are what? A shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Now what Paul just says should blow our mind. He's saying the law was good. The law was pointing us to write something good Right? But ultimately it was pointing us, not just to how to experience a good life, but it was pointing us to something that gives us ultimate life. He was saying the Sabbath, right? Whenever God gave it back in the day to Israel was good, but he said it was actually pointing us to a much truer and better rest. He says the, the, the Sabbath given to Israel is a shadow of the Sabbath of the rest we can have now. And where do we find the better rest? What does he say? In Christ. He says, in Christ, you want Sabbath, you want rest, and not just physical rest. That's great. But what we need today, and you know it, as you sit here right now, some of you, anxious, tired, unbelieving that you can ever actually experience rest. You're worn out. You're walking through life exhausted. Jesus says, you want a deep and spiritual and emotional rest. You look to me. You trust I am who I say I am, and I've accomplished for you everything that needs to be accomplished. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 2, God works for six days. And in verse 2, what does it say happened? It says that God finished. He said it's finished. And then he rested. Fast forward to John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus is on the cross. And after he completes his work, what does he say? It's finished. And now we get to rest. Isn't that good news today that at the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, here's what he meant. He says this, I've come and I've lived a perfect life you could never live. You don't have to be perfect because I'm perfect. I fulfilled the law on your behalf and then I've actually died the death you deserve to die for your sin. And we know that later he would raise from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell. He would accomplish everything that we need so that we can have a relationship with the God who alone can save us, can satisfy us, and give us the significance that we are all longing for. If you believe that, it changes everything. And I promise you, you can rest, even in the most restless moments of life. I was thinking about this this past week as I was at the doctor. This is why I got my phone out earlier. Um... Some of you don't know this, but I've got, a, uh, I've got a bleeding disorder, which is pretty inconvenient for whenever there's going to, when I have to have a surgery or anything like that. And so a dentist told me recently, I had my wisdom teeth cut out. And so I had to go to the doctor and get like all this blood work done. And I'm sitting there and they're talking about this condition that I have. And, and I just find myself getting anxious. You ever do that when you go to the doctor, right? It's like, I'm getting anxious. Like I just feel my blood pressure going up and... They say some stuff, and I just leave incredibly discouraged, and I'm frustrated. I'm heading home. I'm driving back home from Jonesboro, and uh, I'm thinking about my sermon, and here is my thought. Is this real? Like, is, is Jesus really able to give me rest in the most restless moments of life? Because if he's not, here's my thought. I'm serious. I'm not preaching this on Sunday. And I pull over and uh, I just said to Jesus, I need you to be my rest right now because I'm incredibly anxious. I'm frustrated. And uh, here's what Jesus spoke to me. And I, and I typed it down. This was on January 20th. I typed it down on my phone so I would remember it. I'm just going to read it to you. Is The uh, first thing that, that Jesus said to me is, I've never promised you that you won't suffer. However, I have promised you that when you continue to trust in me, my grace will be sufficient. And that I will use your suffering even for your good. And then I said, okay. And I just began to feel peace. And I said, but what if I like if I die because of, some of these, one of these surgeries someday? Because I just bleed out, you know? And uh, so what if I die? And he said to me, I'll meet you there. And you will discover that the suffering of this present world won't even be worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to you. And when you die, you'll be freed from all your sin, all your fears, and all your pain. And you will become what you were created to be, and you will enjoy me forever. And then I was anxious about my kids, and I said, but what about my kids, Lord? You know, they need their daddy. And he said, "Uh, very clear to me, your kids are not your kids, they're my kids. He said, I created them, and they're here because I wanted them to be here. Ultimately, your kids are on loan from me, and they don't need you. They need me because unlike you, I am eternal. I am the source of life and I am alone and the good, right, and perfect father. I have been here, Jared, before you ever arrived and I'll be here after you're gone. Therefore, your kids will be just fine without you because though earthly fathers like you will fail their kids, I will never fail mine. That may not mean anything to you, but listen to me. When he said that to me, it just flooded my soul with peace. And when I walked in the door, I had joy. And I was able to love my kids and I was able to be present. My mind wasn't somewhere else. I was able to rest. I'm telling you, this is real. And the same can be true for you if you see Christ as he really is. Rather than being anxious over things you can't control, you will rest in his control. Rather than killing yourself working more and more and more and more to buy satisfaction or to buy status, you will trust that Christ alone will give you that satisfaction. Rather than constantly being filled with anger and bitterness every time that you don't get the recognition you think you need for your work, you will rest in knowing that you are perfectly loved by the one, the only one who matters. And not because of your work, but because of his work. Can you just imagine for a moment what your life would be like and how it would be different if you believed Jesus is your Sabbath rest? Can you imagine how attractive we would look to the world around us? Now, I don't just mean like physically attractive, like you're all very physically attractive already. (laughs) But can you imagine as you go to work with people who are constantly worried, constantly anxious, constantly just, oh, I'm exhausted? Can you imagine what it must be like to them to see someone who's just rested no matter what the circumstances of life are? For some of you this morning, man, you are restless, you're exhausted. You're burnt out. Some of you, you look really calm on Sunday morning, but really right now, even as you say here, you're kind of freaking out a little bit on the inside. Wondering about your kids, wondering about your health, wondering about your finances, wondering about what's going to end up happening if I have to have this surgery. What if my kids get sick? What if I can't pay my bills? What if ISIS moves to Paragold? <laughs> right? Whatever it may be. Some of you are anything but restful. And if that's where you are, just let me leave you with this good news today. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, these are the words of Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says you're irritable with your spouse, your kids, those around you. You're easily frustrated, you're anxious, you feel heavy this morning. You come in here feeling heavy. Jesus says, you're carrying something I've never told you to carry. I want you to take it off, and I want you to put it on me. I can handle it. I want you to trust in me. He says, you don't have to try to fix yourself. Trust that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to be better. You don't have to do more work. He says, just come to me. Trust in my perfect life and my death and resurrection, and you will find the rest that you are longing for. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning as our band comes forward and those who are going to be preparing communion come. Let's pray together, and then we will uh, we'll celebrate through one more song and through communion. I'm going to ask you right now just to, to pause for a moment. Because you're about to walk out these doors and life's going to hit you in the face again. So I want you to just pause for a moment. And I want you to think about what it is that's before you right now. What is it that makes you heavy? What are you stressed about? What are you anxious about? What are you just frustrated by? I mean, would you trust this morning that God loves you so much that he wants you to have rest? That this is reality? God's not withholding rest from you, waiting for you to get perfect or waiting for you to be better and then saying, hey, if you can be more holy, then I'll give you this kind of rest. I didn't get that rest from God this week because I'm a pastor I've done anything great like I promise you like I'm on the same playing field with you would you just trust that he's a good father that he is who he says he is and he's done everything he says he's done through Christ and just ask him for that rest right now and I'm telling you if you aim for rest you won't get it but if you aim for Christ you get him and rest thrown in and so don't look to rest as some sort of like the subjective idea out there look to Jesus and tell him you need him right now Say, I can't do this anymore on my own. I need you. I need you. Please, save me, care for me, and teach me how to follow after you. And I promise you this. I promise you, he will meet you if you really want him as he is. He will meet you right now, and with him we'll become the rest. Now, I'm saying there won't be times where you'll be anxious. Now, I can say there's not many times where you won't still struggle. But I promise you as you continue to just submit that to him and bring that to him he's going to give you rest and I think it's what we all are longing for father I thank you so much for each person who is here I pray that right now you will do just that through the power of your spirit through the work of your son the you all to be able to rest in him and it's in Christ's name that we pray amen